Someone has said, to live above with saints we love, that will be glory. And we have um, experienced some of that as we've sung about heaven. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. But it goes on to say, but to live below with saints we know. That's another story. (laughs) We face the challenge in our families and in the family of God where there are some times of, of strife, times of challenge. And we find that in Genesis chapter 13. We read verses 5 through 18, the family feud, Genesis 13, starting at verse 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we believe that your word from Genesis to Revelation is your inspired, your inerrant, your life-giving, life-sustaining word. And we pray that you would enable us, Lord, to hear today. Uh, from your Spirit, through your Word, the truths that are found in this text of Scripture. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we choose to walk by faith, we can be sure that our faith will be tested. Have you discovered that? (laughs) 
Abraham discovered this very early in his walk with the Lord. After he was called in Genesis chapter 12, there was a test that came. We could call it the famine test. Famine came to the land of Canaan and Abraham figured that the land couldn't provide for him, so he took off to Egypt without God's direction, ended up lying about his wife, saying that Sarah was his sister, brought trouble to Pharaoh's household, got basically kicked out of the country and went back to Canaan. I would say he failed the famine test. And let's not look down our nose at Abraham because we also have failed some of the tests that have come way, our way as well. Would you have to raise your hand and say, yep, me too? The second test he faced is found here in our text today. Maybe we could call this the family test. And we see that there was a feud going on. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of his nephew Lot. But this time, Abraham passed the test. He refused to allow a family feud to fester. I don't know if you've ever experienced a family feud. You're probably thinking of the program on TV. Isn't there something called the family feud? But if you've ever gone through that as a family, you know what damage that can bring to relationships. Where brothers and sisters and moms and dads and children and so forth are strife. There's feuding. And we notice then what Abraham did in that situation and Lessons for us, too, as well. What what do we do when the family is feuding? Well, first of all, we notice what Abraham did. We see that we need to be a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. I'm sure most of us would not look at ourselves and say, I'm a troublemaker. I'm the one that is stirring up the pot. I'm the one that is causing trouble. Well, when Abraham went to Egypt in time of famine, he ended up really being a troublemaker because he lied about Sarah. Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's household. And we notice in verse 17 of chapter 12 that the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. Abraham was being a troublemaker here. And it had to be a discouraging time for him because his walk of faith had really started out very well. God had called him to leave his country, leave his family, go to a land that God would one day show him. And he went, he obeyed, not knowing where he was going. God called and he went. It started out so well. But then he began to doubt God's promise. And he was firmly rebuked by Pharaoh, and we see him then kind of like a a puppy that had been spanked. What does your dog do when you spank it, huh? Maybe you don't believe in, maybe you reason with your dog, I don't know. (laughs) Probably doesn't work. But when you spank it, what does the dog do? Tail between his legs, running away from you. 
That's Abraham. He had been spanked by Pharaoh. And see, he goes, leaves the land of Egypt. And where does he go? He goes back to the altar. A few Sundays ago, we spoke of that. Back to that place called Bethel, where he had first built an altar. And now he's pouring out his heart to God. An altar of repentance, I believe. And his life was different in this section. And the test that he faced here then is described in verse 5. There was a, uh, so many animals that both Abram and Lot had. The land could not support them. And so the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot were feuding. There was strife between them. And that obviously concerned Abraham. You never want your family to be feuding, especially as believers who are endeavoring to make an impact in the world. If you look at the end of verse 7, after it describes the strife that there was between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, we have this statement that says, Now the Canaanite... And the parasite were dwelling then in the land. And so they were observing this. They were watching what was going on between Uncle Abraham and nephew Lot. And so Abraham realized this needed to be addressed. He was called to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And part of that, obviously, was uh, through Christ and His coming. But he was living among pagans, living among unbelievers, living among those who did not know the true God. And Abraham and his nephew Lot needed to be the kind of witness that would point these people to the Lord. And so Abraham was the one who took the initiative to make that happen. He had been a troublemaker in chapter 12, but now he endeavors to be a peacemaker. We are called to do the same, aren't we? I was amazed how many references there are in the epistles to being peacemakers. Romans chapter 12, verse 18, As far as it depends upon you... Live at peace with all men. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul speaks of being a prisoner of the Lord Jesus and walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've been called to. What does that mean? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of what? Peace. James chapter 3. Who among you is wise and understanding? Verse 13 says, Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That describes Abraham here, doesn't it? A peacemaker. And that's what we are called to be as well. When there's strife, when there's feuding. So are you a troublemaker or a peacemaker? In your family? How about your spiritual family? Be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. Second lesson we learn, live for others, not for self. When Abraham went down to Egypt, it is very clear that he was thinking of himself. Go back to chapter 12, verse 11. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. Where was he focused? Not on Sarah, not on on, on his wife, not on her uh, health and safety, but himself. So let's just make this little agreement. You're not really my wife, you're my sister, and then it'll go well with me. I would call that living for self, wouldn't you? (laughs) Brother Lee, we're not going to be taught that in Sunday school class, are we? Huh? No. When you love your wife, what does that mean? You think of her more than yourself. But after Abraham went to the altar... In chapter 13, verse 4, poured out his heart to the Lord. Then we find this test here in this section. And who is he thinking about now? Look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. We are family. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now, if you think about that, that is really quite amazing, isn't it? Abraham was the older. Lot was the younger. Abraham was the uncle. Lot was the nephew. The promises had been given to Abraham, not to Lot, yet Abraham says to Lot, you choose first. You go this way, I'll go that way. And that would have been considered, uh, that, that would have been unheard of in the culture of that day, and maybe today as well. I've got some of my nephews here. I might let them choose uh, what cookie to take first, you know, like out of the Tupperware, but I'm not sure I would have said, okay, 
You guys take whatever land you want, I'll just get the leftovers. Huh? That'd, that'd probably be unusual in our culture, too. And so this was really an unusual thing that Abraham would actually say to Lot, you take the land you want, and I'll take what's left. If you look at how Lot responded to this, you see the very opposite attitude of Abraham. Instead of living for others, notice how his focus was on himself, living for self. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan that was well watered everywhere. Obviously, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, then it was like toast. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan. And Lot journeyed eastward, thus they separated from each other. So Lot says, old man, look at this land. Look at this land. (laughs) That is mine. I'm going to take that land. Abraham, you can go elsewhere. This is my land. And you get a little hint as to why he had this focus. Uh, He had seen the wealth of Egypt. He had gone down to Egypt with Abram, remember? And now the land, it looked just like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. And boy, when he looked at that, he said, this is mine. I want this land. And that was the first unwise choice that Lot made that led him down a very slippery slope of compromise. Started there in verse 10 with his eyes. Oh, look at how wonderful that is. He looked toward Sodom. And then in verse 12, it says that he pitched his tents as far as Sodom. Not yet in Sodom, but heading that direction. And then we follow the story through in chapter 14, verse 12. We find him now living in Sodom. And then even after that battle where Lot was taken captive out of Sodom, we still find him back in Sodom in chapter 19, verse 1, in the city gate, which was probably a reference to him as a leader in Sodom. So what did Lot learn? He learned that when you live your life focusing on yourself, You are headed down a slippery slope that results in heartache. And you know the end result. When Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed with fire and brimstone from heaven, Lot lost his wife. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. He lost his the respect, or he lost his future sons-in-law who were killed there. He lost the respect of his daughters. It was heartache. Why? Because it started right here. When you choose to live for yourself instead of others, you are headed down a very slippery slope that ends in destruction. Our Kent Hughes makes this insightful comment. He said, Lot was the kind of man who would certainly choose heaven over hell if given the choice, but not heaven over hell earth. Material prosperity was the bottom line for Lot. 
And I'll tell you what, that speaks to the culture of our day, doesn't it? We are in a very wealthy culture, wealthy country. And there are people that are making that same mistake as Lot. It looks so good, doesn't it? It looks so good. But they give in to compromise. And they find out the end result is great heartache. Are you living for yourself or for others? Abraham chose to live for others, not self. Third lesson, we walk by faith and not by sight. If Abraham had been walking by sight, instead of walking by faith at this point, what would he have chosen? I mean, you've got this dispute going on. You know that you've got to separate from Lot. If he had been walking by sight, he would have done the same thing Lot did. Looked at the well-watered land and said, Okay, here's mine. You go that way, Lot. But he was not walking by sight. The Bible makes it clear that Abraham was walking by faith. His focus was not on the land of Canaan. He had an eternal perspective. The writer of Hebrews makes that very clear to us. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 8, it begins the section that describes the life of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why? Look at verse 10. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What is that? That had nothing to do with the land of Canaan, nothing to do with this world. He had an eternal focus. The city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Jump down to verse 13. All these, including Abraham, died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. What's that? That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. So what's the lesson you learn about Abraham? When you have your eyes on eternal things, doesn't it make a difference how you live in this world? How you treat other people? What you seek after in this life? Makes a huge difference. What did we just sing this morning? Turn your eyes upon Jesus... That's an eternal focus. Look full in His wonderful face. 
What's the result? The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. To those people who the things of the world look so shining and wonderful, it's because they are not focusing on Jesus. Because when you focus on Him, when you live like Abraham lived, you're walking by faith, not by sight. You're not looking at all you can grab from this world. You're looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Notice then what God said to Abraham. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. You know, the contrast between Lot and Abraham couldn't be sharper, could it? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw what the world had to offer. And he chose that. But God invited Abraham to lift up his eyes and see what he had to offer. Wouldn't you rather have what God offers you than what the world offers you? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You know what the answer to that question is? There is zero profit, no profit whatsoever. We had a plaque in our home when I was growing up. It said, God always gives what is best to those who leave the choice with Him. I've never forgotten that. I'll tell you what, if we live with that in mind, that God will always give what is best to the one who leaves the choice with Him, I'd say that'd be a, an exciting way to live, wouldn't it be? And that's what Abraham did. God gave what was best to him. I find it interesting to notice that this whole section begins and ends with an altar. Verse 4 of chapter 13, he came back to the altar. And that changed the way he lived in this strife with Lot's herdsmen. And then in verse 18, it ends with an altar. Then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in, the, in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And I believe that would suggest to us that the way that Abraham treated Lot and the way that he viewed the things of this world were a direct result of his relationship with God. Because when you truly worship God, 
It will change the way that you live. Will it not? When you are in a right relationship with God and you are living with focus on Him and you are worshiping Him, it changes the way you live. It changes your relationships as Abraham's with Lot. It changes how you view the things of this world. The contrast between Abraham and Lot. And I couldn't help but think of Philippians chapter 2 as I thought of the life of Abraham because it illustrates to us the life of Jesus really clearly. Listen to Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. That describes Abraham, doesn't it? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's seen in this text with Abraham and Lot. And then Paul applies it. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. How was that seen in his life? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And just as God exalted Abraham, What does it say about Jesus? For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Abraham was Christ-like in the way that he lived in this passage of Scripture. And that's the call to us, to live Christ-like. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus, the hymn writer puts it. How do we be like Jesus? New Year's resolution, I'm going to be more like Jesus. Well, first you need to know Him. You need to have a living relationship with Him. Have His Spirit dwelling in your heart, knowing that you belong to Him and He is working in your life and He is transforming you and He is changing you. As you worship Him, that changes the way that you live. Would you agree that one of the most difficult places... To live like Jesus is at home, in the family. And we try to be unselfish and humble in the eyes of the world. You know, we want people to think that, you know, our walk with Jesus is just, you know, ever increasing upward. But what we're like in the home. That really speaks loudly, doesn't it? 
And so that's the question I wanted to ask you as we close. What, what are you like at home? Are you like Lot? Looking out for yourself? Or like Abraham? Like Jesus? Putting the needs of others above yourself. Abraham was a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He lived for others, not himself. And he walked by faith, not by sight, because he had fixed his eyes on eternity. May that be true of us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts today. That we would be like Jesus. Thank you for His death and resurrection. Thank you for His work for us that finished work on the cross of Calvary that we can stand in your presence righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and thank you also Lord for that good work that you have begun in us that work of sanctification that work of making us more like Jesus continue that process in us Lord daily based on your great work on our behalf. Lord, may we be like Jesus in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long, for we pray in His name. Amen.